Welcome back to the Raintown Riot. This is Thomas Mayfield alongside Matt Raymer, the Parody King, and Bobby Lloyd. And we are very excited today as we have our first ever guest host here with us, former Michigan rugby standout, Alex Brock. Nice to be here. Yeah. So, so we basically pulled Alex off the street. He's traveling across the country and... Uh, I met him while getting coffee, and he's staying with us in Albuquerque for a few days before he uh, travels west to the Grand Canyon. And um, we're going to begin today with the biggest topic right now in sports about American icon Muhammad Ali that just passed away. Raymer here is going to lead us off with some uh, commentary about him. Yeah, I mean, what can you say? Muhammad Ali is one of the biggest sports idols, icons people ever that you can say in numerous ways and so just kind of break down some of his career in the ring he had 61 total fights he was 56 and 5 with 37 knockouts um, he won the the heavyweight title in 1964 against Sonny Liston and that was an upset and overall he ended up having some of the biggest fights in history we'll break down some of those fights in a second but let's just get your immediate reaction bob what do you think from this tra not really a tragedy but the passing of a legend i think it is important at this point in time to honor um probably the greatest athlete of the 20th century uh in our short history of sports uh, we've we've seen some great athletes and i'm not trying to take away from what other men did during their prime or in their sports athletically, but there was something special about Ali. There is a reason why he is such a prominent cultural figure, uh, not just in America, but around the world. And it's because of not only his achievements in the ring, but the type of person that he was and what he stood for and what he meant to our culture. And so it's important to recognize his achievements in all ways. It's like kind of a uh, opportunity for us to celebrate uh, one of the best men of the 20th century. Yeah, I mean, Muhammad Ali had an impact on so many people worldwide. He wasn't just a United States figure. He was born in Louisville, Kentucky. However, he was one of the most, he's probably the biggest sports icon ever to transfer his religion to Islam. And he felt some wrath from him, but he always supported, stood by his uh, beliefs. And People don't judge him for that in a lot of sense, which is really unique in society today and all the religious beliefs. And he's just such a polarizing figure that was always well-mannered and put himself – he applied himself the right way and went about things the right way. He was very – he boasted a lot, very – talked a lot, very flamboyant. However, he also – was well respected. Well, I think it's important when we talk about um, the things that he stood for to understand that uh, he did have to face a lot of criticism, a lot of. I mean, we're talking about a time when uh, there was segregation in schools was still an issue. Um, we're, we're coming out be, being the man that he was, anyways, and to, and the the amount of like. That, that he stood up for racial issues is incredible. And then he also stood up and in a time when we were even less accepting towards Islamics uh, than we are now as a culture, he stood up and decided that he was going to stand for Islam. And I think what what's incredible and inspiring to me about that is that we have a man that 
was not he stood up for what he believed in in all aspects. He was extremely confident in himself. He had, but I think in his heart, he wanted the world to be a better place, and he had confidence in himself that his message would make the world a better place. And he stood up for what he believed in in all aspects and wasn't uh, censored or uh, muted or mitigated by the public or what their opinions were. And I think he would, for those reasons, is why he was such an inspiring athlete to so many and not just a uh, great boxer. Well, like, what is this? Seriously, have we ever seen an athlete even close to this, outspoken about religion and politics to these extents? That's that's part of the why, reason why he's such a legend. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. No, There's nothing even comparable, I feel like. No, not even close, especially nowadays. I think people are more conservative almost now and with social media and everything, and that's what makes him so transcending. He was that sports icon. He didn't care. He didn't care. He he always stood by his beliefs, and people respected him so much. And plus, the heavyweight boxer of the world back then, in the, that time frame, was the biggest athlete in the world, most popular athlete. He was world-renowned, well-respected, and boxing in that time was it. I mean, boxing was the big main sports event. They, call, they were calling the... Rumble in the Jungle, known as the greatest sporting event of the 20th century. So, I mean, he was that guy and also was so powerful and stood by his beliefs so much that it was well-respected. And I think in and out of the ring, it started with him. And that's really what people respected about him is that he didn't expect things to come to him. If he wanted something, he went out and did it. He did the hard work and he stood by it steadfast, again, in and out of the ring when it whether it was religion or whether it was overcoming whatever odds it was, like against Sonny in his first underdog match, he hated being the underdog, and he made sure that he was never the underdog again, just through sheer hard work and determination. So something that... Sorry, technical difficulties there, but the point that I was making about Muhammad Ali, or about to make, is that I don't know if there will ever be a platform for an athlete to be that famous again because this is at a time in history before there were a million celebrities before there was such thing as YouTube it, like everyone tuned in to see the same people on TV every night and and so there was there wasn't as much diversification in what in the amount of sports that you can follow in the amount of uh TV shows that you could potentially watch or in the media that you get to select so that that's why uh, there's these mega superstars that just everyone knew and everyone knew about back then. Like Muhammad Ali is the Elvis of athletes, but in compare, so just I'm not I'm not sure if there will ever be another athlete that gets a chance to have a platform that large. And what's incredible about him is that he didn't use that platform to be a dumb jock and just only talk about how great he was, which he what he was great and he did talk about how great he was. But in comparison to other humongous superstars like Will Chamberlain or Michael Jordan or guys that only cared about their sports, we have a man that's standing up for what he believes in in every aspect of the world and making that public. And uh, I think it's it's just incredible that not only is he at the pinnacle of fame for all athletes in the 20th century, but he's also at the pinnacle of uh, challenging uh, traditional uh, ideas about athletes. To piggyback with what you're saying, Bob, uh, 
is really well known. In 1966, he was exiled from boxing because he refused to be inducted into the armed forces. He refused to go to Vietnam and fight. And I might say I agree with all those beliefs. However, he stood form as the biggest sports figure. And he stood there and really took pride in his beliefs and never backed down. And so you have to admire his courage for doing something like this and for being put in that spotlight and standing up for what he believed in. And that helped, I think, propel a lot of things in society during that time frame. Cool. Go ahead. In fact, George Foreman actually said about Muhammad Ali that boxing was just something that he did. It's not how you can define him because he was so much more than that. And he really proved that in that instance in that there was something bigger than boxing to him and he wasn't afraid to show that. Even though boxing was incredibly important, there were other things that meant more. And this is coming from the top athlete of his time. So going back to Bobby's platform discussion, the initial thought... He made a really good point with saying, I don't know if there's ever going to be a platform this large because now of the, the diversity of sports and there's so many available outlets currently. But I'm, I'm thinking there are platforms. I'm arguing, I guess, that there are platforms that big if people were wanting to utilize them. I think no one is just willing to do the, what he was doing. I feel like... I mean, of course, with all the social media, there's inside access to things that were never accessible in the past. Yes, there are more athletes and, I mean, a lot more people to, to cover, but it just seems like if it was available, I think that's what really made Ali um, unique is that he, was, he really took advantage of that platform more than I think anyone. Well, I'd also think one thing really unique, and I kind of have this question back to you, Thomas, is that some of his social ideas and social beliefs that put him in that platform to even be on that platform, in other words, so his beliefs to go to Islam, his beliefs not to enlist in the army and all these things were something other than his current sport. There were things completely different that he stood for so strong. And I feel like with today's athletes, they're so consumed in their sport, they're not really, you don't ever hear them talking about other issues. So we got to find an athlete that is that strong on that belief and cares that much to have it sacrifice his current profession, right? Is LeBron James going to give up basketball for six years or was it five years all he gave up boxing because he was um, banned or exiled because he wouldn't join the armed forces? So are we going to have an athlete that believes that strong and that big of a social issue to put himself on that platform? I, I I can't emphasize enough how uh, how incredible I think he is. I mean, like the 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 George Foreman quote that I heard. George Foreman says he's one of the like not just the best boxer of all time, but one of the best people of all time. Uh, he was an inspiration to so many people, and I'm not driving the point that oh uh, he's so brave he did something that no one else did. The the point is is. Uh, like we're not we're not celebrating Islam. We're not celebrating um, the, we're not celebrating um, being a conscientious conscientious objector. Like those that's subjective, and people can build their own opinions on it, whatever they think. The, I think Ali inspired people to do what they believe in and to stand up for what they believe in, and whether no matter what they believe in, not not just did he inspire 
black people, not only did he inspire uh, peaceful people, not only did he inspire uh, Islamic people or religion, he, he stood for the idea that it is okay to stand up for what you believe in and be yourself and not conform. And I think uh, his bravery and and what he did has inspired so many athletes, current athletes. Uh, George Foreman, one of the biggest rivals throughout his career. And uh, like I said, the man said that he's one of the best men of all time. So that's, I think, an appropriate celebration for Muhammad Ali and his career. Completely agree. And, uh, just looking back, if you look at American sports history, if you tallied the top 10 events of all time, you could argue at least three of all these fights would be in that. I mean, you have his fight against George Foreman, his rumble in the jungle. You have the thriller in Manila, his third fight against Joe Frazier, and that was historic as it can be. And one thing that was unique about Ali is he did fights all around the world because just the stuff he believed in, and he rallied up countries other than America, but it was still so accepted, which I think is really unique in that era of time. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, like like we were saying, I uh, want to get back to discussing, Tom, discussing with Thomas a little bit here about about the idea of, of these platforms and what these athletes meant, and... I want to say that we're like it's impossible for another athlete to mean this much to society or to mean this much to the world in general, but I just think um, it's going to be much harder to take over that much fame from the general public because of social media. Was my point? I think, I think with how available athletes are and how easy it is to become a fan of somebody these days, like you, we we're available to. So many athletes are available to you if you're interested in them and you look them up. I think it kind of splits up the population and there's not going to be as big of a following for one person as there would have been back then. And that's why I drew the analogy to Elvis, whereas now there's just so much music available. In the old days, you had to go to Hastings and buy a CD. Now you can just look up literally millions of musicians on the internet and find out whoever you like. And, and so there's so much diversity in what's available to us that I don't know if one person is ever going to have the same platform, regardless of whether or not they decide to use their platform to stand for something. Like, my, Okay. My, well, my theory is with the social media right now, I'm saying say Ali was a current athlete. I think he would use social media and his, the, these platforms in a totally different way than, than how athletes are because he's so remarkable because he's so outspoken. I could see him him voicing his opinions on these matters because we talked about that's what he believes in. I mean, you don't see a lot of people doing that. I mean, we we see. I mean, what it, the some of the NBA teams made made um, efforts to support um, the the Clippers franchise when all the racial the racial slurs were said by the owner, things like that. I mean, but I feel like Ali is just more outspoken I, I mean who knows I mean that's just my theory maybe if he had a Twitter he would be posting all sorts of outrageous stuff about his beliefs I think if Ali is on the Los Angeles Clippers when Donald Stern makes his racist comments I don't think like like Blake Blake Griffin and Chris Paul they think they're rebelling by turning their shirts inside out and then going and playing the basketball game 
the same way I'd if if Ali is the power forward that's the star of the Los Angeles Clippers, I don't think that team is on the floor that totally night. I think agree. there's yeah. I think there's a uh it's like looking and I'm not saying I'm the bravest man in the world. I don't know what I would have done in that situation, but I think when we're talking about Ali, we are talking about one of the bravest men in the history of the world. And at least our at least the short history that I know of. And um I think I, I think he would have stood up in a much more dramatic fashion and have oh, really st- yes. ruffled some feathers. And I think he had a way about him that just drew people to him in a way that uh, media the way it used to work is the media chose who got the attention. And he had a way of drawing those people in, drawing in those people. And I think social media, it's much more difficult to do that as to your point, Bob, but also to your point, Thomas, I think he would take far more advantage of drawing in more attention from more people or at least more active attention rather than the passive attention that we tend to get through just random retweets and likes. But like the actual interaction that he would give would be so unique to him just because that's how he was. I think it's unique how you're saying passive uh, that way because I think one of the unique things about Muhammad Ali that's so much different in society and the way a lot of people think nowadays was that it was well known that Muhammad Ali was very proactive and outlandish and he was never scared to speak his mind. And I feel like nowadays when you have some of these people that are carry themselves this way, it backfires on them, right? They get hated on constantly. And one unique thing about Muhammad Ali is that that happened in the time frame a little bit, but he persevered through that, and now look what we're doing now. I mean, it's all over everything, cherishing the life of this man. Well, Tim Tebow stands up for his religion, religion, and he gets scrutinized for even voicing it. I mean, it just people, I, I feel safe to say a lot of people are more sensitive. I now. disagree. I disagree. I think... I think it might be a misconception about Muhammad Ali that it was wildly accepted while he was voicing his opinion. Well, no, it wasn't that then at that time frame. So he had those couple of years that way, but he persevered through that. Yeah. And it, I mean, he wrote at the Olympics I mean, in Atlanta, I, I, he I, lit the I, torch. I think, yeah. So I, I think we can say, yes, Tim Tebow stands up for his beliefs and, and he's a special man in that way. And uh, he hardly says. Anything to the extent, though, of what the points Ali was making. You are right, though. Ali was severely criticized. I, yeah. I didn't. I didn't include that. He was, and then he was beloved later. Yes, he was exiled from he, boxing for five years. Yeah. Well, he was beloved even more later when um, I think Jim Brown made the comment. Ali was finally beloved by all when he couldn't talk anymore. When his Parkinson's was was taking over, and which is pretty sad. But that's that's kind of what happened. Yeah, when that voice is gone, you realize how much of an impact it had on your life. And I think that's one of the most resonant things about him and why he gained that notoriety after he lost that ability to speak is he didn't realize how powerful that voice really was until it was gone. Well, you look back and uh, a lot of it, like I think his confidence in himself was inspiring to people. So, so him talking about himself in the way that he did saying, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest there ever was, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Like, that is fun, but then you look back at, at other things that he said, and he is just so insightful, and he's one of the, like, just incre- incredibly blessed to to have this man as someone that, that received as much attention as he did, because he's, he's just dropping wisdom, like, uh, here's, a, here's a quote by him, he says, he who is not courageous enough to take risks will accomplish nothing in his life, um, 
Yeah, I, the man I, who has no imagination has no wings, and and just in trying trying to reach the general public and inspire them to to better themselves and live better lives for themselves and inspire them through himself. And I think it's pretty pretty awesome that a man that got this much attention also was this type of guy that wants to that wants to spread positivity to the world. I agree, and I think uh, it's really unique when he came out saying that he believed. He kept saying and boasting about, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, which really he said that before he even truly believed it, he said. He came out saying that. So I think that's really unique as a sports figure for a lot of players nowadays and why they look up to him so much. But so to kind of transition this to, I think, a, a pretty wild story that I just found out today is that uh, so the same year in 1971, after the fight of the century, uh, when he fought Joe Frazier, Basketball star Wilt Chamberlain challenged Ali to a fight. And this fight was actually scheduled. They had a schedule on July 26, 1971 to fight each other. And if you don't know Wilt Chamberlain, Wilt, Wilt Chamberlain was 7 foot 2 inches tall and had a 60 pounds on Ali and a 14 inch reach. And a, and a 50 inch vertical. And a 50 inch vertical. <laughs> yeah, Wilt Chamberlain was a massive guy. NBA, one of the best player in the NBA at his time. And... It was really unique because Ali accepted the challenge right away, obviously. He felt he was the best fighter in the world that time frame. And uh, he boasted about it so much, saying uh, quotes to the media, saying that with a traditional lumberjack warning, timber. And it just mean timber because the guy is so tall, he's just going to fall like a log. The tree will fall. And he just kept boasting that Will Chamberlain eventually backed out of the fight. So that's why it never happened because Will Chamberlain said no. But I thought that was a really interesting tidbit if that fight would ever have happened. Somebody had to talk some sense into Will Chamberlain. I mean, the guy might be delusional enough to think that he slept with 20,000 women. Well, well, Chamberlain did beat up a mountain lion one time while driving through Arizona. So there's that. So maybe Is this like a Chuck of... Norris type quote? Yeah. What's well, going on? Chamberlain claims that he did this. Yeah, there's just no way this Chamberlain, happened. I mean, if, if you do the math on, on how ridiculous you would have to be to sleep with 20,000 women... It it's just like like at least like four or five lifetimes full of women. I think we tried to figure this out one time. It, it, it just, was like two a day for forty years or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, I mean we don't we don't have the math broken down right now, but the, but the the fifty inch vertical is a story that Chamberlain told about himself. The bobcats, the, the, the beating up the beating up a bobcat in Arizona. I yeah, mean, so these, are, these are some interesting things, but eventually somebody's got to tell him. Look, man, Muhammad Ali is the heavyweight champion of the world for a reason, not because you can go out there and beat him up. There's a lot of guys that are the best fighters in the world that have tried to beat him up, and Will Chamberlain would have fallen like some heavy lumber. Like, to, You don't just go from the best basketball player in the world to the best boxer in the world. And I think that contrast between Will Chamberlain and Ali, just in the way that they talk about themselves... I mean, Ali didn't always take himself seriously. He liked to joke about stuff. He used to talk about having the fastest punch no matter the class. And he uh, asked his trainer if he wanted to see it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. You, you're, I think you have a good point. I mean, that kind of could sum up our conversation right now. Look how well Chamberlain carried himself. Not saying he was bad, but just what his beliefs. And we're talking about him sleeping with 20,000 women comparative to Ali in the same time frame changing society. So that's kind of shows some of the impact between the two biggest sports people in the United States at that time frame, arguably, how they carried themselves. Well, I'm glad we took the time to celebrate, in my opinion, the best athlete of all time. 
uh, in the history of American sports and athletes and athletes and what we know. I can't really comment on whether there were any like great Greek athletes 2,000 years ago, but in the 20th century and radio, television, what 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 we know of sports, I think we're talking about the best man that we've had so far and important to honor him. Thomas, why don't you we're, close us off we're gonna We're going to transition here shortly, go to a quick break, but just a quick note. This is podcast number 11. I am certain Raymer has used the word polarizing in all 11. I, I'm just throwing that out there. I don't think he can make it through a whole podcast without saying that word. But maybe we'll try next week. Hey, well, shoot us our thoughts. If you guys have any questions or you want us to discuss anything, you can shoot us our, our thoughts at RaymtownRiot at gmail.com or uh, hit us up on Twitter at RaymtownRiot. And we'll be back here in a second. This is Thomas here talking about A&J's Barbecue. Best barbecue in town, in my opinion. It, uh, Grandmaster Smoke has a truck that is located... On um, in various locations all over town. On Wednesdays, he's at the Tallinn Supermarket. Thursdays, he's downtown at the Launchpad. Fridays, you can find him uh, outside Tractor Brewing in Knob Hill. Knob Hill spelled with a K. Uh, Bobby wrote this, and he actually works at Knob Hill Bar and Grill, so that's kind of humorous. Um, and Saturdays, you can find him at Central and Unser for all you West Side folks. So if you need to get in contact with uh, Grandmaster Smoke, his phone number is 505-515-6317. I am telling you guys, you got to try this barbecue. Delicious ribs, macaroni and cheese, all sorts of great stuff. Again, the phone number is 505-515-6317. Just a quick note at the end of that ad. Smoke Master Fresh may make the best barbecue in town, but he is not an expert at spelling the word Knob Hill. This was not my fault. I do work at Knob Hill Bar and Grill. I did not spell it with a K. That was Smoke Master Fresh. Again, not an expert in sell in spelling, but if you want him to make you ribs, pulled pork, brisket, the best jambalaya in town, you will head to his food truck. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Ramtown Riot. We are going to give you guys a little brief update on this NBA series that really hasn't been too much of a series yet is the NBA Finals and the Warriors are up 2-0 and they are completely dominating the series right now. In game two last night, it was such a blowout that LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, all of them, Steph Curry, Steph Curry did play a little bit, Klay Thompson, they didn't play the final 10 minutes of the game. It was a blowout. It was really over the entire second half. So, Bobby, I'm going to ask you, do... The Cavaliers, what adjustments can they make? How do they get back in the series? Oh, you know what? It's going to be, it's going to be tough for them to uh, get back into the series. I think that uh, being down 3-1 to the Thunder, the Warriors had to figure out a lot about themselves and kind of pull together to rally back from that. And I think they are a stronger team now than at any other point during the season. Um, they're really dominating, really playing well. It, what, what's been most incredible is this has just been a complete team domination of the Cavs these first two games. I mean, in no way do you ever count a, count a series out after the first two games because now they're going to go play two games in Cleveland, and Cleveland has a chance. But it just seems like uh, the Warriors are really rolling on all cylinders right now, and we've seen what they've been able to do when they're playing hot all season, and it's been the most impressive basketball we've ever seen. Well, I, I feel like... 
the best way to describe this series so far is weird. Like, if you were, before the series, you said Clay and Steph both don't score 20 in either game, and Golden State is scoring in the low 100s either game, you're Cleveland, I feel like you take that. You'd probably be happy about that knowing beforehand. I believe game two they scored, what was it, 107? 107. Yeah, I mean, I mean, still, there wasn't like in the 120s or anything that they're capable of doing. Yeah. Cleveland, Cleveland is not scoring. I mean, their defense isn't that bad. They're just, they're not shooting how they were earlier in the playoffs. This looked like a prolific three-point shooting team earlier in the playoffs. Kyrie Irving, uh, interestingly enough, I, I heard a stat that he is 4 of 27 on isolation plays this series, while he's 8 of 9 while he's catching and shooting. So, I mean, LeBron had a good first game. No one really has played well since then. It's It looks bad right now for the Cavs, but they are going home. Yeah, so my, my two takes as I was watching this game is Golden State just looks like a tougher team. When someone gets knocked to the ground, they pop right back up, and they almost, I'm not going to say they want it more, because I think Cleveland really wants it as well, but they're just not nearly as tough. Golden State's pounding the glass, they're playing physical, and they're not backing down from anything. I feel like the Cavs are kind of looking for answers somewhere, and maybe everybody's just looking at LeBron, and LeBron can't do everything himself against a great team. LeBron had seven turnovers in game two, and that's not good. And then secondly, it's been obvious if you watched it, the Golden State Warriors bench is completely, completely dominating the Cleveland Cavaliers. Leandro Barbosa has not missed a shot in these NBA Finals. Leandro Barbosa is shooting 100% in these well, NBA Finals. What is he? How many field goals? He's 10 for 10. What? 10 for wow. 10. 5 for 5 both games. That's insane. And then you obviously had Livingston game one, but overall their bench and toughness, I think, are really propelling them right now and making them... Really, this game's not close. I, I, I don't feel like there's too much controversy after these first two games. Like, there's not, there's not too much I can add to disagree with you here. I, it's like I said, I think that the, that the Warriors figured out a lot during that tough, grueling Thunder series and have come into this team tougher, more united, uh, and just unified and ready to get down to work. I don't think, and I think that's a situation where adversity made them stronger. And I also think it just has not been a series that has gone particularly well for the Cavs to this point. For them to come in as the underdog, they needed to be the team that had a spark off the bench that that made the difference in a game for them. Instead, we've seen the opposite, where the two biggest scorers on the Warriors haven't performed um, to the same level that they've been expected to, but they also haven't had to because Sean Livingston kind kind of took over game one. They've had two big games from Leandro Barbosa, and Draymond Green was all the story of game two uh, with, with his dominant play. If Draymond Green plays like that, if he, or that's the only thing with Draymond Green. Draymond Green makes his threes, they're almost unbeatable yeah. because you can't defend them. If they do a pick and roll with Steph Curry and Draymond Green, that means you're obviously going to switch everything that Curry is the mismatch. But if Draymond Green is hitting these open threes, they will not lose. Guaranteed. Yeah, it's been, it's been tough. They needed some balls to roll their way. Nothing rolled their way the first two games. Uh, the, the Warriors came in strong. They needed uh, – Barbosa's the type of guy that can make 10 out of 10 shots, but he's also the guy that can make zero out of 10 shots. And they needed him to be the second type of guy to have a chance. And they needed that type of luck to have a chance going in there to take one of those games, and they definitely didn't get it. Right, so 
I feel even though these were dominant wins and they weren't filled with typical Warriors basketball, so to speak, we maybe shouldn't overreact because who wins really in Golden State? Hardly anyone does. They're going back to Cleveland. J.R. Smith was pitiful on the road. I don't even know how J.R. Smith only gets nine shots off in two games. I don't I don't. He's get a it. chucker. It doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense. Yeah, he scored eight points in those two games combined, five of the first... Uh, three the second, so I mean, we'll we'll be interested to see what happens next. Game three is tomorrow. It's Wednesday. Wednesday. Game three will be Wednesday, and yeah, definitely don't overact. It's really going to see what Cleveland is made of in game three. Can they overcome this big barrier that's in front of them? And a little stat here is that only three teams in NBA history have overcome an 0-2 deficit in the NBA Finals. Wow. Wow. So that's... Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think just like any time in basketball, there's going to be granted, like, implications to uh, what this series means. Um, if they lose these finals, if they don't come back and look strong, there's potential for the roster to get blown up, which is interesting. There's potential for a trade for Kyrie Irving. There's potential for a trade for Kevin Love. There's potential for LeBron James to split town and go to uh, someplace else where he thinks he has a better chance of winning a championship or just a... Uh, where he wants to be with his best friend? Yeah, I mean, maybe Miami, like I predicted earlier in the podcast. There's going to be a lot of media speculation uh, all over the place. Yeah. And just for this series' sake, I'm really, really hoping that Cleveland, as a Warriors fan, I'm a diehard Warriors fan, I want a good series. It's just fun to watch, and I'm... Hoping Cleveland can at least make these games interesting. I think you might want a good series, but you might not want too good of a series. If Okay, put it this way. I want the Warriors to win 4-0 or, <laughs> or 7-game series. Warriors okay. winning. Okay. Because 4-0 just puts them like on a whole level. Because I feel like of, if the Cavs come back and win the next three games, you might be singing a different tune next week. Well, hell yeah. I still want the Warriors to win, of course. That's <laughs> duh. But I just, I mean, as an NBA, as a sports fan, you want a good series. It makes it more compelling. We all want a good series. Um, we will be definitely tuning in and following up with this on the next podcast. One quick stat to kind of end this NBA talk is that LeBron James now, and I guess the Cleveland Cavaliers, have lost seven straight games to the Warriors. That is the longest streak to, for any team that LeBron James has lost consecutive games to. Any team, okay. Yeah, so LeBron James has never lost seven games in a row to an opposing team and besides one, the Warriors now. One other quick LeBron stat is last year in games one and two, LeBron had 84 points uh, at that point in the series. And, I mean, if you remember, he was outstanding. He was incredible. He, yeah. he only has 19 points in game two. So, he's, so yeah, he, he, had, um, he has 48, I believe, through these two games. So, I mean, he I, I saw Brandon uh, Jennings tweet, and I totally agree with it. He said... LeBron's got to average 40, and I think that if this is going to be competitive, I think LeBron has to do something of that nature, and we'll see if that's even enough. But, all right, we'll take a quick break here, and we'll be back next with some MMA talk, some really interesting stuff going on in MMA, so stay tuned. All right, we've got to give another quick shout-out to another one of our sponsors, Thank you to Wilderness Athlete, the authority on outdoor performance from the backcountry to the weight room. Wilderness Athlete provides nutrition your body needs. This includes products such as protein, energy, green fusion, and other supplements generally to make your body feel good. This company is booming and is growing all around the Southwest, 
and all of us love this product. So check them out. Go look at them at wildernessathlete.com and just see what you think. Thank you for that, Matt. Back here with the Raymtown Riot. Uh, this last weekend was one of the most exciting weekends we've had in a while as far as controversy in the UFC. We had a great card, um, some upsets, but we also just had a lot of news break and some interesting uh, outlooks from the commissioner, Dana White. So it'll be very intriguing to hear about the stories and some great news breaking that gets us excited for UFC 200. Uh, Matt, you want to go ahead and cover some of the uh, UFC 199 events? Yeah, and in the main event, you had Michael Bisping fighting Luke Rockhold. And Bisping knocked him out in the first period. It was a huge, huge upset. And it, Bisping has been around in the UFC for a long time and has been really working towards this but never reach that peak right of the UFC and he finally reached that and Bisping only had a two-week notice going into this fight so he had to prepare really quick couldn't study his opponent for a long time and either could um Luke Rockhold however he just looked like a much more prepared fighter and just a stat to show how big of an upset was this was this is the third biggest upset in UFC history according to betting odds wow Number one was Rousey Holm, obviously. Let's go, Holly Holm, Albuquerque. Um, but yeah! There you go. But after that, um, yeah, Bisbing, he was their third. And so this was a huge upset and good for Bisbing. Uh, yeah, it is, it is big time for Michael Bisbing. There's a very interesting um, curve of his career because he was always kind of a middle-of-the-pack guy at 185. Um, never probably... I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I just never really thought of him as elite. I mean, obviously, he's been around for a lot of the time when Anderson Silva was head and shoulders above everybody else. And uh, I mean, it, it's it's been interesting seeing how his career has changed. Like he has continued to progress, and really, in the last two years, has improved his boxing game to pretty much an elite level, which is. For a guy that's 37 years old, it's just interesting to make that much of an improvement at, at the age of 35 to put yourself in the realm of uh, being a world champion. It's pretty sweet um, the way that the way that UFC works. Just because you don't you don't necessarily need to kick somebody's ass for an entire fight. You, it's arguable he wasn't winning that fight up to that point, but he was able to catch Rockhold. Knocked him down, knocked him out. Uh, referee had to call the fight, and that's why it's such an exciting sport. There's so much, so much possibility. Any when, whenever there's a fighter in the ring, you always say he's got a puncher's chance, and that that's what he, that's what happened. Now we're looking at a new 185 champion. Very exciting. So just just a couple questions here. I'm not as savvy on the UFC stuff. So Bisbing beat Rockhold. Mm -hmm. Bisbing has the belt. Yes. Is he most likely going to fight Weedman? Or who would who would you guys think he's fighting next? Well, Weedman's the one that got hurt that was supposed to be in this Weidman. Oh, Weidman. 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 Uh, so Weidman would be a contender. Rockhold is obviously a contender. Um, I can't really say that I've been following the 185. I know those, those two guys have been considered to be at the top. Uh, Weidman, of course, knocked Anderson Silva off his perch with two consecutive victories. Uh, it's not extremely common to give 
the uh, X champion a rematch right away without him earning without him earning it unless he's been the champion for a considerable amount of time and just kind of silenced all doubters. And that hasn't been the case at all. This Rockhold did not defend his belt once. He won it and then mm-hmm. lost it right away. So uh, why I, I still think he's an elite fighter at the class, if I had to pick one guy that I, w- that I think uh, is probably the best fighter at 185, I pick Rockhold. Next, I'm going to pick Weidman. I think either one of those guys is going to be a big challenge for Bisbing. But it's like, I, like uh, Bisbing is now an elite boxer. That's a new level of his game that uh, he didn't used to have in the past. It's yeah, exciting. huge for him. 19 victories now in the UFC, tied the most of any fighter in the UFC with George St. Pierre. Um, so we are going to now transition to another UFC topic that one of the most, I don't know. Like polarizing. Yeah, there, that's the word I was looking for. Uh, fighters, Brock Lesnar is set to fight fight Mark Hunt on July 9th at UFC 200. This is huge news as Lesnar was um, one of the biggest stars in the sport and former heavyweight champion. This is his first fight since December 2011. He got really sick with an intestinal issue and lost tons of weight, like 60 pounds, and was in the hospital for a long time, and now he worked his way back. He's still a WWE star, but... Man, my man Brock Lesnar, the guy I always rooted for. Can you see me now? Exactly. I'm going to lay on my wife and drink some Bud Light, Brock Lesnar. But he's back in the UFC. He's 38 years old. And you know he's still going to be boasting about himself like crazy. And his comments coming into this fight, he just said he is the crossover athlete. He is the modern-day Bo Jackson. (laughs) Just because he does WWE and UFC? Little interesting. But I love Brock Lesnar. Whoa, 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 whoa. You typically don't like the cocky athlete. What's going on here? It's freaking weird. I don't really get it, but I've always rooted for Brock Lesnar like crazy. And I know Bobby has got some really interesting take on it because we have battled about Brock Lesnar <laughs> for his whole time in the MMA. We have been going at this. We've been like penguins and polar bears. Polar bears are favorite animal. And Lesnar's the biggest guy, so I'm freaking that's all about it. I didn't know polar bear was your favorite animal. I was just pointing to the fact that we have been very polarized on this, <laughs> on this issue. Um, yeah, I mean, I just kind of think he's the epitome of a dumb, stupid athlete that <laughs> he's not He's not very fun to me. Uh, watch, watching him fight, it was just always the same thing. I was always rooting for somebody to kick his ass. When Frank Mir beat him, it was a big deal to me. I was like, look at this. This is some guy that actually knows how to fight. Lesnar just... What does he do? He's this big steroid boy, took all kinds of steroids in the WWE. Uh, he's one of the only guys that ever has to cut weight to get down to 265. Huh. Yeah, <laughs> but don't sell him short. The reason, honestly, the truth for the reason why I love him is I'm a wrestler. I have a wrestling family, and he was a collegiate champ wrestling in Minnesota. He was the best heavyweight wrestler in the country, and he was unbeatable. He was so good, and I really respect his wrestling skills, and that's why I rooted for Okay, he may, he, he may be an incredible wrestler. I would say most of his success as an athlete has been due to his size. And so it's just not, it's just not that fun to me. I was rooting for him when he got it. I was rooting against him because I wanted to see somebody beat him with skill. It was obvious when you're looking at it. It's like, yeah, this is the biggest, strongest guy that exists. Like, and he, talented. 
I wouldn't say he's the most talented guy that exists. Wrestling wise, he is. Maybe not all of us, but wrestling. How can you argue with it? He's like unbeatable. Is, is wrestling all, is, is a game of talent, skill? Is in wrestling? Is it all just like be the bigger guy so and control the other guy? Bob, you've never wrestled. I swear. So this is put it this way. I I switched to wrestling my junior year of high school. Right? I played basketball and I realized I was a better wrestler. I was stronger, faster than everybody I went against. But I haven't wrestled in years. And I have a family to wrestling, but I switched to it, and I went to varsity right away, and I got my ass kicked. I got my ass kicked my junior year on bar JV undefeated because that was they weren't as skilled, and I was stronger and faster than them. Got to varsity, I got crushed. I got put in a like a pretzel. It freaking sucked. But however, painful. I learned a little bit of moves my senior year, and I was able to do very be very successful. I may not have wrestled, but I think I would have put you in a pretzel. Oh, there you go, Bob. A salty, buttery pretzel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. <laughs> but anyway, wrestling is all about skill. As anybody's you can't just be the most strongest, fastest guy that way. You have to have skill or somebody's going to embarrass you. I, I just remember just watching him take these guys down, and it's like, yeah, they're not strong enough. And then he's just laying on top of them, just doing his little three-inch hammer punch with his, like, 20-pound fist. Just <laughs> dropping it on these guys. And it's just like, this is not exciting. Why am I paying for these fights? But then everyone else loves him. And I'm just paying I'm paying for these fights just hoping that he gets his ass kicked. And he's 38 years old. He's coming back. He has intestinal issues probably from overgrowth from HGH and years of being in the WWE. Uh, well, Mark Hunt, the, the fight that he's going to have is really interesting. Mark Hunt has won his last two decisions by knockout. Frank Mir being the last opponent he knocked out. And he's just known as just a really hard-hitting heavyweight. So it's contrasting styles, and we'll see if Lesnar takes him to the ground or Lesnar gets knocked out. I'm predicting Lesnar takes him to the ground. Uh, I mean, there's always potential for Lesnar. What was the fight where he just comes out with a flying knee? Do you remember that? Yeah, hell yeah. That wasn't Grandy Couture. Was it, uh, was it Czech Congo? That sounds about right. Czech Congo's another freak. Oh, dude, we're talking about heavyweight UFC athletes. Like, like, there's not a UFC heavyweight that doesn't knock guys out. That's what these guys do. I mean, it's 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 almost it's almost luck who wins these fights a lot of times, just based on like how often it turns into a swinging battle and one of these guys knocks each other knocks the other guy out. I think at the uh, at the heavyweight level that happens. There's more, uh, I would say, parity than in any of the other weight classes, which is how often people are getting knocked down. Well, heavyweight out. People love watching heavyweights because people knock other people out. It's just like yeah. boxing. We're talking about Ali. Knockouts are much more frequent at heavyweights. It just seems like uh, like with Mark Hunt, I wouldn't call Brother Fat. I would just say he's got a weight problem. You know, he's a Samoa. He's big bone. Yeah, and, uh, and I just don't think he's carrying enough efficient weight. I would be surprised if Lesnar doesn't try to take him down, and it, I would be shocked if he doesn't make Mark Hunt looks like a turtle on his back. Squeal like a little girl. All right, Tom. So, so originally, UFC 200 was the McGregor-Diaz rematch, correct? Correct. So, to me, it looked like a little bit, well, what is the UFC going to do here? They lost their biggest star, and, I mean, I mean, that's pretty huge. McGregor's the biggest star probably in the history of this sport in popularity. But this, this Lesnar fight is huge. Co-main event with John Jones and Daniel Cormier. So, really exciting night with, um, I mean, John Jones is one of the uh, biggest stars as well in UFC right now. So, I mean, that, that Lesnar signing, signing him to this card is, 
is huge, in my opinion. They really saved themselves. I mean, they now people are still going to pay a lot of money, a lot of pay-per-view people for this UFC event. I'm excited for it now. And also at UFC 19, they announced that McGregor and Diaz are now scheduled for the fight at UFC 202 on August 20th. So we're still going to get the fight we wanted. McGregor's still going to get a chance to defend himself and beat Diaz. And there we go. UFC got everything they wanted. Um, I would say Conor McGregor is still going to get what he wants. Like this, there, there was a battle. There was a controversy. UFC 200 did improve its sales and its hype and its ticket prices by, um, by, announce, by announcing Lesnar, getting John Jones and Cormier. At, but, uh, but there's just no one at McGregor's level. I think the majority of UFC fans right now, are probably more excited for UFC 202 than they are for 200, and I predict UFC 202 will have bigger sales numbers. I Yeah, I does not doubt me. So, Alex, just to ask you, you're from Michigan. We're southwest of Mexico. UFC is gigantic out right here, right? MMA is so big. What's it like in Michigan? Do people follow UFC very much? Uh, they follow it a fair amount. Uh, B-Dubs is the place to be when it comes to watching UFC. They have nights out there, and there's a big following for the people who do follow it. But I feel like, at least in my experience, it's not as big as I've seen in other places. I think there are too many other sports, particularly in Detroit, that compete with it. And, you know, we're, we're from the area where Floyd Mayweather's from, so we've got a lot of bigger boxing contingent out in Michigan, so yeah, so it's people, not quite as big as the South. Yeah, it's not going to be as big, but there, it's still big, uh, big enough that somebody I don't generally follow MMA just because I'm too poor to pay for pay per view. Uh, <laughs> but you know, even I heard about the controversy about the leak that led to uh, Brock Lesnar's return. Yeah, the, they had the there was that leak that came out where a reporter, a well-established reporter. For the UFC, came out and pretty much announced that Brock Lesnar is going to fight at UFC 200. However, he leaked this before the UFC wanted it to be leaked, and now that reporter has been exiled. He's been completely eliminated from reporting for the UFC. Banned for life. He's banned for life, and I feel like this is wild when you think of a reporter getting a report and announcing it. I don't know a lot of stuff that goes into that, but it's just I think it's unique, and he's bearing. He's being very uh, outspoken about and transparent on his beliefs on the matter is that he loves the UFC. He's followed this whole, this whole time frame, and he respects the sport, and he doesn't feel like he did anything wrong. Well, Ariel Helwani has been about – he's probably the top reporter for the UFC for the last 10 years. And so it, it is interesting uh, for them to try to crack the whip on him is hard. I'm not sure like what they're talking about. Like he can't report on the UFC anymore. He has every right as a human to do whatever the hell he wants. Uh, they can pull his press pass or uh, try to pressure him into not going to different events. But it seems like um, if he wants to write about the UFC, if he wants to interview fighters, coaches, whatever, I think he still has the right to do that. It sounds to me like he just lost a job is all. He got Man. physically removed from USC 189 before the main event. So he yeah he tweeted this or put it on Instagram or something, some social media, and they literally phys- they found out it right away, obviously, and they physically removed him from the event before the main event. So that's pretty serious. 
yeah, it doesn't seem like you should be able to mitigate and silence your reporters in that sense. Um, I mean, obviously, kind of like I got a I got a text message about uh, Brock Lesnar fighting in UFC 200, and then I hear reports. I, I check the news to see if it's true. I check the news. Dana White says it's not going to happen, and then an hour later, a video comes out hyping Lesnar for UFC 200. So it is. I mean. It's not perfect, but that's that's the world we live in these days. Uh, the only state that didn't know that LeBron was going to Miami before he went to Miami was Ohio. Ohio still thought he would stay in stay in Cleveland, but the rest of the ESPN like so he had, he hadn't made an announcement. Things get leaked. There's sources. Uh, I don't think cracking the whip on Ariel Helwani for for uh, it's kind of just like being like. Like, hey, we're firing you, but it's just a sign of the times. You can't keep things a secret. Once once something is known, somebody's going to get a hold of it, and it's going up on Twitter, Instagram right away. This is a little bit off topic, but just interesting that I heard this week about keeping things hush-hush was apparently teams have, uh, in the NBA, I just thought it was interesting, um, private statistics. I had no idea, but... For instance, the hell does that mean? So, so they, for instance, Clay Thompson, there are statistics on what his field goal percentage is when uh, in the lane, for instance, making layups. But you, they keep the Golden State Warriors keep it private. If you wanted, what are Thompson's uh, percentage on contested layups? Things like that. People would just watch the games and break them. I know, down. I know, but it's, every every sports franchise is getting into advanced statistics and analytics, and they are all keeping private house statistics that they're not sharing with the general public. So every sports franchise has an office focused on keeping advanced statistics on their teams and the teams around the league, and they're not publicizing them to other teams. This sounds like a complete non-story to me because you just watch the games, you can get these statistics. They're just taking the time to do these statistics. You may not be able to get all of the statistics because they are working full-time on finding these statistics. It may not be as simple as Thomas is saying it, and they might may have more statistics than are available to us as the public. Like it's practice stats? More so that you'd need somebody who's like a professional statistician to break down some of the statistics. Yeah, you're an NBA, you're a professional franchise. You need any professional statistician. You can plenty of money. You could do that. I'm that, talking about no, that. That is what they're doing. We don't have that. We're not. ESPN is not necessarily paying professional statisticians to keep track of of these things in the same manner that sports oh, franchises well, are. Yeah, this is what yeah, okay. this is sense. this is what Thomas is talking about. He didn't understand, and I think a lot of people wouldn't realize. The uh, implications of how much statistics is having an impact on sports and how much that's having an impact on the decisions general managers make, the strategies that head coaches make, and the way that players decide to play the game while they're playing and the uh, decisions that they make during gameplay. Very, very interesting. All right. Well, uh, we kind of jumped around a little bit there, but uh, now we're going to transition here to the NFL. We finally have a little bit of stuff to talk about here, and... A really interesting story that pretty much bad, bad press on the NFL, but it probably won't get crazy headlines is Aqib Tlaib was shot in the thigh this last weekend. And Aqib Tlaib is the Pro Bowl cornerback for the Denver Broncos, just won a Super Bowl. And it just came out that he shot, he told some friends that he shot himself in the leg. However, get this. He was too drunk to remember. He was so drunk, he didn't know whether he shot himself or not. That sounds 
really crazy to me. I mean, I'm not going to say I've never been that drunk, but come on. Sounds crazy. And the bullet went through his thigh and out his calf. However, the bullet did not hit any vitals, and he's expected to be back for camp. So this is very similar to a former NFL player, Plaxico Burris, who shot himself in the leg as well. Plaxico Burris was in New York. Fortunate for Tlaib, he was in Texas, who has far more lenient gun laws than New York. He may still be in trouble if he lied to the police about what exactly happened. Uh, more developing on this story in the next... Whether the gun was yeah. registered and all that stuff. Yeah. Plaxico Burris was in jail. Well, there's different gun laws in New York City than there are in Texas, of course. But I, I think the most alarming part of the story is, like, you are carrying a loaded firearm in your pants and getting too drunk to remember what you're doing. It's just, like, this sounds like maybe the best-case scenario for what could have happened in this instance. Like, imagine, imagine all the terrible things that could happen. He's blacked out, has no idea what the hell he's doing. Luckily, he shot himself in the leg instead of shooting somebody else, and luckily, he's going to no be okay. And no vitals. His yeah. zero vitals. I mean, I, I keep to leave. Consider yourself extremely blessed right now. Uh, this reminds me of 8 Mile, right? Cheddar Bob and 8 Mile? Anybody you say 8 Mile, Cheddar Just Bob? Just explain the reference. I don't know what the hell you're anyway, talking about. Anyway, 8 Mile, the, the movie about Eminem. You got Detroit. We got a machine yeah. guy here. Cheddar Bob, his good friend, shoots himself in the leg uh, trying to act tough. So it's kind of funny. But anyway, an alarming point. An alarming point here is uh, Talib has been known for having a lot of trouble um, off the field in his NFL career. He was drafted by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Tampa Bay just traded him to New England for pretty much nothing because they were so sick of his off the field issues. In 2009, Talib was arrested and charged with battery and resisting arrest after he assaulted a cab driver. I wonder if he was blackout drunk then, and then. Also, Tlaib was aggravated assault in 2011, where he apparently pistol-whipped his sister's boyfriend, another firearm incident. And then in 2014, Tlaib and his brother were arrested, um, or Tlaib was believed to be arrested, it was actually his brother who got into trouble, but a lot of these events have happened when he's with his brother, so I wonder if his brother is a really bad influence. And people in Denver now thought he was over that hump, his off-field issues are over, but if he's blacked out drunk in a club with a loaded weapon, obviously something's not right there. Well, like you said, it makes you wonder how his family influences him because, you know, we act different ways around different people, particularly when you're around family or close friends. You go back to the way you were around them unless you have some sort of support system to keep you out of it. And it sounds like whatever support system the Broncos probably had around him because you know he has a guy following around trying to keep him out of trouble. He probably found a way around that and ends up in trouble because he reverts back to these things that he's used to around the pe around certain people. So that very well could be that it, his brother might be something of an influence in that or whoever else he's with when these incidents happen. This makes me really glad for all the times that I wasn't carrying a loaded gun in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, no pun intended. Anyway. <laughs> what are we talking about here? <laughs> all right, uh. Shot myself so, in the leg. <laughs> so let's go to a little more Middle happy school. NFL news, right? So the best NFL safety guarantee that you guys don't know about, one of my favorite players in the league, and his name is Harrison Smith. He's the Notre Dame product, first-round draft pick for the Minnesota Vikings, just signed the most lucrative deal for a safety in the NFL. 
He just signed a five-year, $51 million deal with over $28 million guaranteed. That's a lot of money, but he is an extremely, extremely good safety. So what do you think about safety getting that much money? If you have the money, it's a team-by-team base. If you have the money and you can deal with that money and you can pay your people in the future, then I, to get a person that makes such a difference on the field is huge. Look at Earl Thomas in Seattle, all these players like that. He just isn't on a legion of boom. He is on that caliber of a great safety. But it's a team-by-team forecast. If you can absorb that money and still maintain your team, then it's, it's worth it. It's in. Go ahead, go ahead. Especially to have somebody who's going to end up being an anchor on your defense, somebody who plays smart, plays hard, and his contributions go off the field as well. I mean, he hasn't been around super long compared to a lot of leaders, but he's taken up a leadership role in the defense. I mean, I'm coming as a Lions fan. I've seen what he does in the NFC North, and I think personally within that team, if they can build around him, he's worth that money. They got a lot of young talent on the Vikings. Why'd you, it, why'd you refer to this as happy news? Happy news because this guy just made a crap load of money. He's a fan. Okay. Yeah, thank okay. yeah. I gotta support the safeties. I'm a safety in a heart. I gotta support him. What do you think, Bob? You're about to say something. It just seems to me like when you're spending this much money on one player, um, lots of times it might be bad team management. Uh, sometimes you have to recognize. When a, when a guy is valuable and at the position that he's valuable, what, what he contributes. But other times you have to, you have to understand like what that money could be spent and are you better off spending this much on one guy in comparison to improving maybe two or three other positions with, with quality players. I mean, I'm not, I'm not an expert. I can't, I can't uh, but it seems to me like any time you're, you're playing one guy the most at his position of anyone in the league, you put yourself at position where uh, vulnerability. It's risky, no doubt, but like we're saying, it's a team-by-team basis that they feel they can pay him and still adequately assess the rest of their team and don't um, hurt their future, then it might work. Look at Earl Thomas. You know, it helps that the uh, Vikings have been drafting pretty well over the past few years. So they've got, like you said, uh, like you said Matt, a lot of young talent that they have on relatively the cheap. So if you can anchor them for the four years – four or five years or whatever while that talent is developing before they have to be re-signed, then, you know, that takes a little bit of the risk off, but no doubt there is a big risk problem. I agree. And the young talent, you got Xavier Rhodes, um, Anthony Barr, Kendricks, a lot of great players in the Vikings, but Alex and I will both be rooting for them to fail. Not as, not as hard as we'll be rooting for the Green Bay Packers to fail or the Chicago Bears. I would have to say Minnesota is my second favorite team in the division, but I'm all Lions all day, all the way. Two Lions fans at one table in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Very interesting. We are two of the three Lions fans in Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> and after this, we're uniting with the third. <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll be back with a little NHL talk, a couple questions for Alex being from Michigan, and then our rapid rise to finish out the show. Quiet, everybody. My commercial's on. Hi, I'm Peter Griffin of the New England Patriots. I'm here to kick off the touchdown of savings weekend at Wilkins Hyundai and Subaru. We will blitz the competition, and in no time, you'll be driving your new Hyundai or Subaru right to a touchdown. 
Here we go again, back with the Raintown Riot podcast. Uh, we're closing up the show here. We have Matt is going to interview Alex here, a brief cover of the NHL, and then talk about what it is like to be from Michigan and some of the controversy that we have going on in the state of Michigan. Yeah, so quick sum up with the NHL, what's going on right now. The Stanley Cup Finals are happening, and Game 4 in San Jose just ended, and the Pittsburgh Pittsburgh won 3-1, or they won 3-1 and are up in the series 3-1. And what are your thoughts here? You're from Michigan. Well, they're headed back to Pittsburgh. They're tough at home, especially in second period. If San Jose can't lock it down before then, I think – you know, Pittsburgh's going to be raising the Stanley Cup in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it, it definitely looks like the Sharks have a huge uphill climb. And uh, the big underdog story looks like they're going to be defeated by Pittsburgh Penguins. So, yeah. So, we're going to talk a little bit here to Alex about being from Michigan. And Jim Harbaugh, I got to ask you, right? Is no, from it's Michigan. What, what are your thoughts and how enthusiastic and what's the state like, the vibe all the things going into Jim Harbor right now. Well, uh, unless you're a state fan, you absolutely love him. Uh, we like the hype that he brings to Michigan, which was suffering for the longest time, especially with Ohio State showing us up over and over again. It, it kind of weighs on you, and he lifted our spirits in a way that really hadn't happened in a while. And we like that he's shaking things up, and he's getting us the attention that we want as you know, Wolverines. Oh yeah, he's getting all the national headlines. He's competing. With, he's his, this list last week. He had a tipple with Nick Saban over the satellite camps, and he's calling out Nick Saban. He's been really putting Michigan in the media spotlight. That's for sure. But also, is getting big time recruits coming there now, and is really propelling that university in football again, putting to a powerhouse. Yeah, and a lot of that comes from that attitude that he has. Michigan. There was a time when I would go to other states and I would say U of M and they didn't know what Michigan was. And now most of the time, unless I'm in a state like, you know, uh, Maryland or Missouri or whatever, they're going to think University of Michigan Ann Arbor because of Harbaugh. And if other people who aren't athletes are thinking that, then athletes are, uh, are definitely going to be thinking that. They're going to be taking a look, which gives us far more options. Exactly. And uh, it's exciting for Michigan football and – Let's see how they do this year, see if they can overtake Urban Meyer and really win the Big Ten and put themselves on the biggest platform in the college football rankings. So here, let's transfer to our Rapid Riots here. Let's end the show with one of those. Bob, you want to see what, what do you got? Let's go with Thomas first. Thomas, what, uh, what's your Rapid Riot happening here for this week? So recently there was a new research study in the field of physical therapy and ergonomics. Just um, briefly, I'm going to tell you about myself. I, I haven't quit my day job quite yet where or the Raintown Riot has not made it that big. So I'm working in a physical therapy clinic. But I just want to talk about this research study that talks about how often we are as humans bending, bending forward, which is termed flexion. The research study uh, followed a pretty big sample size of people and estimated that we bend 5,000 times a day. Um, Wow. Yeah, they may have been pretty liberal with what they were considering a bend, but 5,000 times a day of flexion 
Um, I mean, obviously, it's probably going to promote some some back problems. So, I mean, that's a major major thing we see in physical therapy. We're helping people with their back issues, so we need to make sure we're in extension, lay on our stomachs, stretch out. As Bobby is demonstrating right now, I, w I wish you guys could see, but uh, that is my rapid riot for this week. All right. My rapid riot here is going to be with Madison Bumgarner. So Madison Bumgarner is the pitcher for the Giants, right? And he has already pretty much single-handedly won a World Series for the Giants uh, two years ago, winning three games in the World Series, and is great. So he's already dominating pitching, right? He's one of the best pitchers in the MLB. Now, he just came out saying he wants to compete in the home run derby for the All-Star weekend. Now, how ridiculous is this? You're telling one of the most dominant pitchers there is. What if he happened to win the home run derby, right? And so a little stat to kind of support him. He is currently ranked 14th among all hitters in the MLB in terms of home run rate. He hits a home run in every 6% of his at-bats. And so that's really high for uh, normal traditional hitting. And if he happened, I'm all for it. For the MLB, this is great ratings. This is everything. Put him in the home run derby. I will freaking watch and I'm rooting for him. However, I don't think the San Francisco Giants will allow him, is my guess. Why wouldn't they allow him? To get hurt. You know, swinging as hard as he can for that many swings. They'll go buy on vacation in Mexico. Hurt? Has anyone gotten hurt in the home run derby before? It's it's different for pitchers. A lot of MLB teams don't even want their they're very lenient about what they want their pitchers to do. If they can if it's gonna be an obvious ground out or fly out, don't even run to first base. Like they are very easy. Oh, okay. Swing oh, super hard, okay. you hurt your lower backs times oh, okay. and just those things. Plus he's he's their superstar on that team. You don't want him getting hurt. However, I'm rooting for it like hell. This will be awesome seeing him in the home run derby. All right, Bob, what's yours? All right, here we go with my rapid ride. I want to take a chance to drive home a point that I've made in previous podcasts, and I see it as being super relevant today as we, are spent, as we spent a good amount of time celebrating Muhammad Ali. I want to drive home the point that uh, CTE is going to be a bigger issue in sports and mental health problems stemming from multiple uh, hits to the head, brain problems. Whatever, whatever it is, we are not uh, done with, with this issue. I think it's going to continue to arise, not just in the NFL, but also in fighting, uh, soccer, basketball. And we are going to continue. This is going to be an issue that follows us into the future. We're going to be looking at every sport is going to have to find solutions to minimize head traumas. All right, all right. So we got our guest. What's your rapid riot? What's your guest? Our right. guest, Rapid Riot. My rapid riot is on Steph Curry declining to go to the Rio games. I am wondering whether or not this is going to be the, uh, you know, the first of many de uh, declinings of you know, the top of the NBA to go to the Rio games, much like what we saw in Athens because of the safety problems that could be faced in a very dangerous city. Will this be the year that a bunch of other countries who are finally really taking basketball seriously might actually have a chance to get into the USA that isn't represented by its best players. Unique. So, very unique. Um, Zika virus is very prominent still in South America. I was actually curious about this throughout the playoffs because Westbrook and Curry, it seems like there's some tension there. It always seems like there's some tension between LeBron and Curry. 
So I was always in the back of my, my mind thinking about how's this USA team going to be? Are they just going to overlook it? But I guess we're not going to be able to see Curry on that team. Exactly. And there's, to your stat, there's been six prominent NBA players that are on the 31-man roster that can be in the Olympics have declined already due to, they all said due to injury for the most part. Uh, Curry said it was because of his knee, but who knows? It could be because of Zika virus and all this. Chris Paul with his hand. Yeah, LaMarcus Aldridge with his hand and some other stars. It's very interesting, the intrigue as to whether or not it has to do with the rivalries in sports. I don't think Curry's gotten on the same uh, level of popularity with, with other superstars as uh, LeBron and his friends have, like LeBron and Melo and Dwayne Wade and Chris Paul and all these guys have been kind of best friends and they've just kind of accepted LeBron is the best. Now it seems like uh, Curry is the best. Uh, he does. He's not going to take a little brother role to anybody and... Um, and that, that might be rubbing people the wrong way. Another issue, Curry's wife travels with him everywhere he goes. Zika virus is particularly damaging towards women and, and women that might be potentially pregnant. So it might, he might be declining it for health reasons. It might be because uh, they're doing so well as a team that they don't really want to associate with other teams. Like they want to keep their guys together and keep that competitive edge. Or it could be because it could be straight up. Who knows? Yeah, so uh, that closes out our, our uh, podcast here today. I'd like to thank Alex for uh, joining us, and it was a really unique experience. I mean, got him here, and uh, yeah, it was fun. Thanks, yeah, it was great being here. Thanks for having me. All right, that wraps up our podcast. We'll see you guys here next week.